for the most part, Eve's, my matchmaker alter ego, has been narrating the last four episodes. In this episode, no Eve's. Heather is the narrator. This episode is my story. Heather's story before Eve's D. Roper was invented. When 2020 started, I had been single for three years. I was dating in New York, and I was quite familiar with swipe culture. Like most of my friends, I used dating apps. Initially, they made dating exciting, like an expedition. These dating apps offer so much access to people that I wouldn't have otherwise come across. Once, I sold a bike on a first date. Someone else I dated for a couple months told me that his dad is part of the mafia. And then there's also that other guy, the one that I accidentally dated before realizing he's married. I went on a lot of dates. I was captivated by the potential. But eventually, those initial feelings of possibility turned into disappointment. Now, at the beginning of 2020, I feel trapped in this game. I'm ready to be in a relationship again, but I could never find one. My dating stories never amount to anything. I'm turning 33 soon, and I'm feeling more anxious. I always thought that I would have a family of my own eventually. And now, eventually, is starting to catch up to me. You are listening to It's Nice to Hear You. Stories about human connection, told through an anonymous matchmaking experiment. This is episode five, the origin story. Hey, it's really good to hear from you. Hello, Heda. We get to be with someone that I can plan with. My mini like, gummy. You and I are I going to go going whole to grow. <laughs> 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 yeah, because I got the right big old bag of gummies. Oh, oh no, I'm so I did it. I made it by myself. This shit is bad. All right, peace. Do you feel any better now? At the very end of 2019, I matched with this guy on a dating app. This is the guy that I've been calling Chester. He's in his early 30s and has a haircut like early 2000s Justin Bieber. He's nerdy chic, the type of guy who plays video games, but also gets his clothes tailored so it fits properly. He is exactly my type, minus the hair. Chester works at an interesting startup but was starting to feel burnt out by it. A feeling that I totally empathize with. After a couple weeks, we finally meet for dinner at a restaurant of my choice in my neighborhood. Two hours of solid conversation later, he pays, walks me home. And then... He bows... Right there, in the middle of 15th Street in Manhattan, in front of my apartment. It's a gentlemanly bow, arms open to the side, one leg extends forward, and a deep bend at the waist. Then he bids me good night. This is the first time someone bowed to me after a first date, any date. It's an equal parts perplexing 
and memorable. He texts me later that evening. Our back and forth continues over the following days and weeks. Then we start to meet regularly, about once a week over the next couple months. We do pleasant date things like go to the ballet, check out cocktail bars, watch art house movies. He doesn't mind that I'm constantly late, or at least he pretends not to. I mentioned that I want to go to Germany this year to see this outdoor play that only happens once every decade. Ever since I learned about it several years ago, I couldn't wait to attend the next one in person. The next one is scheduled to take place in the summer of 2020. It's called The Passion Play. The story behind the play starts from the Black Plague, which swept through Europe in the early 1600s. Villagers of a small town in Germany prayed to God and promised to perform the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They promised to do this once every decade to be spared from ever experiencing the horrors of the plague again. I have never met anyone who knows about the Passion Play, but apparently Chester does. He has even been to this place in Germany where the play takes place a small town in southern Germany called Oberammergau. I love that we have obscure things in common like this. It makes me feel more connected to him. Also, there's one more thing about him that I adore. This thing unexpectedly changes the course of my life over the next year. It's March 18th, 2020. I'm in my apartment. This is how episode one started. I'm quarantining at home, alone. It's from Chester. I'm eager to open it, but I don't. Here's the thing. Knowing that it's my turn to respond, there's sort of a calmness and security. I just want to preserve this feeling a little bit longer. So I preoccupy myself with some activities. But not for long. I succumb to my curiosity. This is what he sends me. Uh, I got a haircut. My hair is a little bit shorter than it was. It's a voice memo. I, I, have a, I feel like based on your comments, you kind of wanted my hair to be a little bit shorter. Chester is not his real name, but that is his real voice. No one I dated has ever sent me a voice memo. The very first time I received one from him, it kind of felt like the digital version of him bowing in the middle of the street after a first date. Perplexing and memorable. Chester's voice memos are sweet. Do you feel any better now? And some of them are little performances that only last several seconds long. Hallo, Heda. Wie geht's? Was magst du heute? It's always unexpected. When I hear them, I can imagine a possible future where we graduate beyond our game of chicken. After a couple weeks, I decide to reciprocate with one of my own. 
My first ever voice memo. I was waiting to find something meaningful to say. And finally, I find the right words. Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. Chester is confused by this, since his last name is not Watson. I decide on this line because it is what was said in the very first telephone call, more than 140 years ago. Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, said this exact line to Mr. Watson, his assistant. I never explained the significance behind this to Chester, and I'm not sure if he ever got it. But from what I gather, he liked it. He even saved it. It's now a month since quarantine started. I have not seen Chester this entire time. Finally, we managed to make plans for him to come to my apartment. He would help me set up my new outdoor bench. I'm excited to finally get to spend time with him in person again. Once he helps me carry the bench upstairs, we could have wine on my patio outside. I even have outdoor lights now. It would be the perfect quarantine date. But the day of, he changed his mind. Something about visiting his sister upstate. So we make another plan, but he cancels again. He starts to text less, and the messages are not as interesting. All of a sudden, it seems that he stops caring. This is me literally filling up audio time. I feel betrayed and then embarrassed. Maybe he didn't care, ever. And I was just imagining that he did. I don't want to respond to him anymore. If he doesn't care, he doesn't deserve a response. So I let him have the last word. Then I decide to do something. Actually, three things. One, I delete my message history with him. By removing all evidence of our correspondence, I wouldn't be able to reread them. It would be out of sight and out of mind. I would be less disappointed this way. Two, I delete him as a contact. It would be silly to expect a response from someone who doesn't even exist on my phone. Three, I carry the bench upstairs by myself. I nudge the bench up one step at a time. It takes close to an hour, but I succeed. To celebrate, I sit outside on my new bench with a glass of wine. You can probably decipher that Chester and I are not the most communicative about our feelings. Instead, we just sort of dance around them. We had a point system based on something we call notches. The most witty and deserving text responses are rewarded with a notch. Sometimes two, like when he sends me elaborately staged pictures of his stuffed animal in portrait mode. And of course, 
there are the voice memos. Yeah, it was sucky to be alone during it. There was some like weird physical agitations that I was experiencing yesterday. I felt like sick to my stomach, like actually sick to my stomach over something that I had nothing to do with, and, and that was bad. I thought this is communication. Maybe not the most explicit, but certainly affectionate, at least in my mind. What he says isn't anything that significant, but to me, it sounds intimate, especially in voice memo form. As I replay these voice memos for you, this is what I hear now. Oh, I need your opinion on a jacket I want to buy. But at the time, one year ago, this is what it sounded like. Oh, I need your opinion on a jacket I want to buy. Sometimes, listening alone can misguide us. I just heard what I wanted to hear. I convinced myself that I like this ambiguity. I thought, if I already know how he feels, there's no need to say it. Saying it out loud might even dilute it, make it less special. We just had this understanding. I mean, isn't that romantic? At the time, this is the narrative I convinced myself to believe in. In hindsight, I wish I did express my feelings openly and explicitly. Be vulnerable. Muster the courage to just say, I care about you. I would like for this to go somewhere. How about you? But I never said it. And once Chester ceased to exist on my phone, I couldn't say anything after that. So things ended this way. In silence. Uneventful and passive. I should mention that there are other Chesters in my past. And like the most recent one, they were all deleted as well. Deleted out of self-preservation sort of way to trick my brain and minimize the sadness. Now, it's May 2020. Number of contacts in my phone, minus one. Number of matchmaking projects in my life, plus one. Hey, it's really good to hear from you. I'm busy listening. I'm trying to plant a mini garden I'm listening to all these new connections that I created for other people. Now about your mini garden, though, you have to speak it into the universe that it's going to grow. So say it with me. My mini garden is going to grow. Again, my mini garden is going to grow. <laughs> I got the green thumb. I'm good with this stuff. <laughs> I loved your pep talk. You've got to manifest. Um, I actually did say it out loud, so thank you. Some pairs hit it off immediately, discovering unexpected things that they have in common. My ancestry is in Ireland. Uh, 
Lauroilam in Yerga, Ledehel. GHW, Dirch Sugar, Wilat May, Kainchlat in Yelig. You probably learnt your Irish from some beautiful place in Galway where they speak a much more melodic version of it than I do. Thank you so much for speaking Irish. Ah, uh, you, you sound absolutely lovely. GHW, Shaw F. Right, yes, Mary Ritta F. Shaw W. But after a few back and forths, the girl just stops responding. There's no advance warning, no explanations. And weeks after not hearing back, the guy sends one last message. just want to say, Goro Mila Mad, for the conversations, for uh, speaking to me in Irish, letting me practice, um, and letting me learn from you. I'd really enjoyed talking to you, and... Um, if I don't hear from you again, I hope you have a good life. Go many dirit, I thought about this thing I created. I required my participants to put a lot of themselves out there, answering 36 personally revealing questions, sending voice memos to a stranger. Be vulnerable sooner. It's a great feeling when reciprocated, but it really sucks when it isn't. I realize that what I created is not better than a dating app. It's just different. I set out to test an alternative to online dating. Something less draining, with more humanity, empathy. For some pairs, my experiment did accomplish that. But for others, it's worse. My experiment has higher highs and lower lows. Hearing someone's voice in your head. Savory, and you eat it with uh, like, like chicken and, and wine and stuff like that. It's very nice. Feels more intimate than reading a text. Your imagination starts to fill in the blanks of what your match might look like. You hear their authenticity, vulnerability. Then you feel connected. Hope your lockdown's uh, getting better, going okay. And having it all end in silence, without an explanation, feels a whole lot worse than being ghosted on some app. In my research for the experiment, I come across this thing, the five love languages. The simple concept is that each of us has a primary love language. It was developed by psychologist Dr. Gary Chapman. The main takeaway is that there are five unique communicating styles in love. Here's Dr. Chapman explaining them from several years ago. Words of affirmation, you look nice in that outfit. Acts of service, doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. Cooking meals, washing dishes. For these people, actions speak louder than words. Then there's gifts. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. Quality time. I'm not talking about sitting on the couch watching television. <laughs> I'm talking about sitting on the couch, looking at each other, interfacing with each other, and then physical touch. That's why we pick up babies and hold them and kiss them and cuddle them. If you don't speak your spouse's primary language, they will not feel loved even though you're speaking some of the other languages. So even if we understand the words, we can speak past each other. There's a quiz online that tells you what your love language is, and it turns out my language is quality time. 
But if my partner's primary language is words of affirmation and I'm not providing it, despite all of the quality time that I do give, after a while, my partner might feel unloved and that I don't care. When I'm not listening to my participants, I'm replaying their conversations in my head. I'm glad to know that you're actually going to take the effort to learn a song and play it for me. Like, I I feel touched. Like, I'm touched. Oh, these past few weeks have just been really insane. Anyways, I have certainly taken on more than I have room for. And so, unfortunately, this experiment's got to go. But I wish you all of the best. Um, Perhaps I'll catch you around when life resumes back to normal. Best of luck. Bye. I think back to my frustrating text exchanges with Chester. I felt that he no longer cared because of his increasingly less frequent text messages. To me, consistent dialogue over text is equivalent to receiving attention and affection from someone— But it is entirely possible that he didn't feel that way. I mean, we never talked about it. You know that golden rule, the one that says, do unto others as you'd want others to do unto you? It sounds nice, but when I think about it, that's basically projection. It's a very self-centered way of looking at the world. Perhaps an updated golden rule is to do unto others as you think they would want others to do unto them. I've never been adept at communicating my feelings. I have trouble finding the right words to describe how I feel most of the time. There's a saying in Chinese, which literally translates to hitting is closeness, scolding is love. This might sound harsh, but it is familiar to me. I'm an only child who grew up in an Asian household with divorced parents. I'm just not used to receiving or articulating affection. But it doesn't mean that I don't care or feel those feelings. Even with my closest friends who say, I love you before hanging up, I wouldn't reciprocate with I love you too. My former boss, Rachel, who's in equal parts a mentor, a friend, a family member, who I call Leopard Mom, describes me as someone with no emotional range and has shared with me that I'm frequently misunderstood at work. So I guess I could also have been very much misunderstood in dating as well. Maybe Chester and I didn't share the same secret language after all. All this reflection prompted me to think about my communication patterns in past relationships. I've really only had one real relationship— my nine-year relationship with my ex-boyfriend. Four years ago, we broke up over email. Yep, I know. In March 2017, I emailed him. Sorry for not responding, but it's been a busy couple of weeks and I just in relationship of my life. I will always remember the joy and alone. And no one can stay together while being apart indefinitely. I hope as well, and maybe once. I'll have the chance to see him again. And start paying for the phone bill if you tell me the account. I truly really wish you the best and take care. 
I didn't cry when I sent it. I had already cried sufficiently over the previous years and pre-mourned the breakup before it actually happened. I'll read how he responded. He responded in an email. I appreciate your email. As much as I wish events turned out differently, I do not know what to think now. He reminisced about the short time that we did live together. I think back with fond memories, you with your long curly hair, and we would watch those old Netflix DVDs wrapped in a red envelope. Life was much simpler back then. We would balance checks and plan our trips together. It did not matter where we went. I'm willing to trade off so many things in life to live such a loving, simple life. For the past few years, I keep regretting taking you to Europe the very first time. Because after that, we lost what is ours after you decided to explore Europe on your own. Or with other people. This is the first time in four years that I am reading this email again. I had thought that we broke up because the long distance was too hard. But now, I think we could have overcome the distance if I knew how to show that I did care. I still have things to learn from that last relationship, but right now, at least this lesson is clear. I need to communicate better. So, why not start now? On May 13th, 2020, after weeks of not responding to his text messages, I sent Chester an email. I wanted to drop you a note and apologize for not responding last month. I don't know how I made you feel afterwards, but upon reflection, if I were on the receiving end, I would have felt badly, so I wanted to reach out to apologize. I've been making a ton of progress on the podcast, and listening to other people's conversations has taught me a lot. One of the things that had dawned on me over the last couple weeks is that I project my preferences for communication, feedback, signs of affection onto others. I interpret their actions and any perceived deviations from what I would do based on my own frame of reference. I most certainly did that when talking to you, and some of my frustrations that made me increasingly sad. You are a lovely human, and I learned a lot from you. Thanks for letting me get to know you. Stay well, Heather. This feels like progress. The mature thing to do. Within five minutes, it's from Chester. All good. 
period. A two-word response to my two-paragraph email. It feels unnecessary, and I'm embarrassed, betrayed. Honestly, I wish I didn't communicate at all. Months after this email, Chester texts me. We have a back-and-forth banter like before. Then, out of the blue, he writes, quote, When I pulled up your name to text, I had previously typed, Do you want to hang out? Are you free? And I guess I never sent it. End quote. After half an hour of sitting on it, I ask why he didn't send it. He responds, I'm not sure. I did want to see you. Then I send an emoji. The robot one. Soon after, this conversation ends. Again, in silence. This is what the absence of vulnerability sounds like. Through the course of this experiment, I got to know Molly, the relationship coach who talked to my female participants in the midpoint check-in. I shared with her some of my frustrations with Chester and explained my unsuccessful history in dating. I asked her if she has any feedback for me. Um, there's like a tinge of shame almost, but like, be kinder to yourself. But I also just want to give you so much permission and forgiveness if there's any sort of shame that you're not where you're supposed to be or like you you're bad at dating just name it I struggle with intimacy and I want to get better I don't want you to stop but you just naming it then your partner can be like oh she doesn't hate me because a lot of times they'll make it mean something about them and be like oh I'm messing up and then they'll stop my guess is there's a part of you that fears it but you are craving real meaningful connection so it's just learning how to actually show up for it If I want to become better at dating, I need to start communicating and show up for the intimacy that I want. You might be wondering if Chester has listened to this podcast. He texted me last week and said that he liked it. I asked him if he has any feedback, and he said he didn't know that I actually cared about him. He said I should have just made it known that I cared. I agree. A deep connection requires communication. But it also requires vulnerability when that's reciprocated. As I mentioned before, this is not a rom com. Welcome to Los Angeles International Airport. For your safety, please keep I moved to L.A. in the fall of 2020, and I never see Chester again. Now, you know the story about Heather. Next time, the final episode. One last lesson and an update on our other pairs. When we had, like, our first week here, and it was really good. <laughs> in the first five seconds, it was like, oh, wait... Are you that person? B 
Behavioral Signals is the sponsor for this podcast. They have created the fastest evolving and most robust emotional AI technology, enabling businesses to add emotion and behavioral recognition to their own software solutions. For more information, check out behavioralsignals.com. If you are single and want to participate in our next experiment, visit itsnicetohearyou.com and sign up for our email list to get notified about updates. It's Nice to Hear You is written and produced by me, Heather Lee. If you like what you hear, please give the show a rating on Apple Podcast. It really helps independent shows like this one get discovered. This show would not be possible without all of my wonderful editors. Story consulting and editing by Katya Stepanov and Jesse Carey, co-founders of Rebus Experiences. Editing by me, Camila Kerwin, with the Rough Cut Collective. Story editing by Max Miller. Sound design by myself and Morgan Foos, who also mixed and mastered this entire series. She also composed the song that you're hearing right now. Brand identity by Jen Ang. Website design by Lizzie Jolson. Special thanks to Stephanie Fu for her story consultation on this episode. Also, thank you to relationship coach Molly Godfrey, and of course, all of my participants. Lastly, I want to thank Chester for inspiring this project. Oh yeah, one more thing. A quick note on the passion play I mentioned earlier. I found out that this play, which has been performed every decade since 1636, which has more than 100 performances during the play year, and cast thousands of people, was canceled for the first time in 2020 due to the coronavirus. The play has been rescheduled to 2022, though. And... I'm planning to go. That's all for now. Talk to you next time. Bye.